in an ideal world, we'd love to remove the entire restoration, remove yeah. any caries, access yeah. for cracks. But yeah. when after 20 minutes, we need to get in, go for the kill. Yeah. Is that okay? Can you forgive us? Yeah, no, it's, at the end of the day, this is about patient. This is about getting the patient out of pain. Okay. And you just need to get in there. I used to call it ninja endo. Get in there, get the job done, get out before without the patient realizing it. That's my principle in endo, whether it's emergency or, or endo. You want to be stealthy. Stealth. Stealth, okay. <laughs> Welcome to Group Function, where the Pro True Serati work together to find good solutions to worthy problems in dentistry with your host, Jazz Gulati. What is your current protocol for extirpation? So let's say you made a diagnosis of irreversible papitis. Your patient is in raging pain and you have to squeeze in this pain relieving treatment, a extirpation probably of a lower molar or something in five minutes. What are you gonna do? Well, some of you will listen to this and it will be validation and revision. And you'll be thinking, wow, I've been doing it right all this time, even though I thought maybe I was taking shortcuts, but actually I've been doing it right all this time. And others will be like, whoa, this is so much easier compared to what I'm doing at the moment because the big hint I can give you is that you don't even need a K file for your molar expectations anymore after today. Because I've got Dr. Sanj Banderi, specialist endodontist, to talk us through what is the right way, the proper way to do an extirpation of your patient who is in pain. And there are just so many gems from pain relief, diagnosis, isolation. And what I love about Sanj in this episode is that he's not dogmatic. Yes, he's a specialist endodontist, and it's so easy for him or anyone to say, you must always use rubber dam. But he actually does discuss a scenario that, okay, if for whatever reason, you had to do it without rubber dam. How can you optimize the isolation? How can you reduce the saliva getting inside the tooth? So I really appreciated that about this episode. I'm sure I hope you will as well. It's very much in tune with the real world. And lastly, we do cover his step-by-step, -step, what is the right and proper way to do an extirpation without wasting time and without actually making things worse for future treatment. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I'll catch you in the outro. Dr. Sanj Banderi, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, thank you, Jazz. Thanks for the invitation, excited. Not done one of these before. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm amazed it's your first time and uh, it's, you're, you're a real hero of mine, Sanj, because I don't know if you remember, 10 years ago, I met you at the uh, British Endodontic Society. Can you believe it was that, is that long ago? God, 10 years, you know what? Everything's a blur nowadays at my age. <laughs> Could have been yesterday and it will be still, still seem the same. But no, thank you. It's, it's, it's lovely to have to be here. Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much. And I remember your lecture even then. I remember some of your lectures at the BDA. And probably because our paths haven't collided, I haven't seen you. I knew you're very active with your teaching, but our paths haven't collided since then that much. But it's, it's great to have you on to talk about a very important topic, which is how to get a patient out of pain in terms of your diagnosis of irreversible papitis. And we're going to talk about what is the optimal and best Sanj-approved way of, of dealing with that that you wish your referring dentist would do. And the other one we'll talk about is post-op pain. But before we dive into the nitty-gritty details, just please tell us listening, it's an international audience in terms of where is it that you work, what got you into endo, a bit of your background. Sure. Yes, I've been in this game in endo anyway for, a, well, dentistry, I suppose. If we go all the way back, it's going to be our 30th anniversary next year, so uh, which is a bit a bit frightening. So now I'm qualified in London, much of a Londoner, but I now live in Manchester and I've sort of wormed my up north to the northwest, uh, mainly by accident, really, and just, just 
hospital jobs I initially came up then I did my postgrad training up here I mean back in those days 1995 there was no there were only three postgraduate endodontic programs outside the hospital training pathway and it was either London or Manchester and I happened to be at the right place at the right time in Manchester I got onto the masters quite young actually quite early I think I was the first one in our batch in our year at guys and I wasn't a high-flying student at all I managed to um, first want to get an MSc and then I stayed in Manchester at that time in the mid 90s I don't know if you're too young to remember jazz but it was quite a good university town city <laughs> and uh, it was uh, I think I had a better student life as a postgrad than I did in London but uh, now it was things were changing in Manchester the dental school was good I was teaching there were not many endodontists. One of the reasons I stayed up north, actually, uh, because I knew the job prospects would be better. And this is before endo became really popular, and I could see it. In fact, it's by accident I fell into endo. It was going to be either implants. At that time, there was an implant MSc and there was an endo MSc. Because that was one of the only endo uh, implant MSCs in the country, I was too young. I would never have got on. The people that got onto that were experienced practitioners, and I really had no chance. But I, that's where I was going to go ironically the opposite way and I ended up getting endo and it sort of taken off from there and I just got into endo and I stayed in Manchester got job offers and I've pretty much been full-time endo day one from, from finishing the master's so since 97. So how many days are you clinical at the moment in terms of doing your um, endodontics uh, you know, re- referral practice? Yeah, so I'm pretty much now full uh, full time, as in I, I was four days. I'm down to three days now, and I've got an associate, Rob Rob Jacobs, who, who covers me. So, uh, so I'm down to three and a half days and teaching now, just doing private uh, courses uh, up and down between London and Manchester with, with a couple of friends. So that keeps me out of the practice, but pretty much I've always been a, a hands on clinician. So you're very wet fingered, very clinical. You you got a great name in the UK as a the person friendo. So again, it's a privilege <laughs> to have you on. The reason I have you on is because extirpations. I speak to different colleagues and we all kind of do it differently so I want to find out what is it that you recommend and I remember asking an endodontist some years ago what they recommended and I got an interesting answer from the endodontist he said that you know what as an endodontist I rarely get to see the emergency extirpation cases anymore because usually by the time they've come see me, there's a sinus tract, there's a perioendo lesion, and they're really complicated. So firstly, I'm just being nosy. Uh, how much emergency extirpations do you, do you get? How many of those phone calls do you get? How many do you actually treat in that regard? In terms of the practice, you're absolutely right. Being an endontist, we, we, by the time they get to us, they're either non-vital, previously root-filled, all the, um, all the dentists has had a go at doing it. We get a lot of phone calls, and mainly from dentists, what do I do? How do I numb the tooth up and this sort of thing we'll talk about that um, shortly but in that way I'm kind of slightly lucky although I know how to deal with it and we have to back in the training working in dental school you're in the emergency the dental casualty whatever they call it nowadays so you had to deal with that you had to learn pretty quickly one of the reasons I went into endo is just okay it's not just about the white lines at the end of the endodontic treatment right at the beginning getting patients out of pain immediately out of pain just until they relax and you get them back into the proper endo that is really important and and in that way i'm kind of shielded being in specialist practice because it's the, my general dental colleagues there at the cold face and they've got to deal with that stuff on a friday afternoon just before they close patient will rocks in you know and they haven't slept for a week and they're anxious and they're nervous they've never been to a dentist sometimes and you've got all that to deal with and you've got to get them out of pain and you can't fob them off with antibiotics it's just not appropriate nowadays medical legally it's not you could get into hot water if something happens so you've got to be able to get in there and deal with it efficiently as painlessly as possible and that's a challenge 
because the tooth is extremely inflamed and and just stabilize everything so you can get them back in when you've got plenty of time or get someone else to do it or whatever the, the, the protocols are but that is important yeah um, okay. well, before we go in for the for the kill and talk about the exact protocol that you would recommend to alleviate someone uh, out of pain let's talk a little bit for the, for the younger audience listening maybe students who are listening right now uh, just coming up with a, a diagnosis of when it is appropriate to give antibiotics because perhaps it's necrotic infected and really it might already be root filled or whatever and then what kind of history and clinical findings are, are leading you to towards a diagnosis of irreversible pulpitis that needs that intervention that wouldn't settle with antibiotics can you just uh, give a distinction between the two different types of patients okay so you've got two different situations you've got the the root filled and non-root filled tooth i won't talk about the root filled tooth yet because that's a different slightly different scenario but on a tooth that's either potentially vital or semi-vital or partially necrotic or completely necrotic okay so you start from the 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 disease process obviously starts at the top of the pulp typically caries tooth fractures bugs have got to get into that pulp now sometimes the patient's will have very low-grade symptoms and a niggle, a, a dull ache, maybe a bit of thermal sensitivity, and they, they, they kind of put up with it. And sometimes those pulps will die, but it's the ones that don't die or die painfully, and they, they go through an acute phase, what we describe as irreversible pulpitis. Uh, they're the ones that are the challenge because because the, the top of the pulp, the, the, the pulp that's the most inflamed closest to the insult could be caries or a fracture, that bit of the pulp will be difficult to anaesthetise. So the whole, when you give a block, typically for a lower tooth, you'll give a block anaesthesia, you'll give an infiltration. The anaesthesia will not penetrate up the ID um, nerve. It won't get into the pulp. It'll get into the pulp, apically, maybe ridiculous area, but it won't get to that point which is the closest to the insult, the most inflamed. That's the challenge. Getting from the, t- well, where I describe it to the patients, I show them the x-ray. This is your tooth. That's the top. You've got aura filling there. We need to go from the top, the ecclesial surface, down to that pulp chamber bit. We're going to go down to there. Now, a lot of it's patient management. It's preparation, okay? Because we'll go through the anaesthetic protocol, which hopefully will work, but sometimes it's just not going to work. But you need to know that, and you know that from the patient's symptomology when they walk in. You just know that as a hot pulp, there's a chance that they're not, you're not going to be able to anaesthetize them. It doesn't matter what you hit them with. Um, there are a few things we'll talk about how to prep that. If you if, you, if they haven't walked in off the street, if you know there's a, a pulpitis coming in, you can, there's a few things you can ask them to do before they come in just to, to help the anaesthesia process. And then when they get them in, in the chair, it is management. It's a lot of good anaesthesia, multiple techniques, uh, different agents and then going in carefully and managing the patient, being empathetic. But up to a point, if they can't tolerate it or their anxiety levels too much, you sometimes have to do it in stages. Sometimes you've got to, got to go for it. And it's, it's, sometimes you've got to be cruel to be kind, but in, a, in, a, in the appropriate patient. Mm-hmm. You can't just dive in and, you know, you'll lose yeah. a patient. And it's just not nice. So you've got to manage yourself in that position. But equally, you want to get them out of pain. So it's a balance. It's a real fine balance. Yeah. Based just on the just pain. the other day, uh, I saw um, an acute uh, a patient in acute pain, uh, and uh, after getting somewhat good anaesthesia, uh, you know, objective, you know, I, t- I tried with endofrost minus fifty degrees beforehand, managed to uh, elicit a necrotic response compared to the others actually. But he had recent symptoms of irreversible pitis, so it was probably mostly necrotic, but there's still uh, some element of vitality to it based on his symptoms yeah. he was presenting with. Uh, and so when I did manage to reach the pulp chamber of this lower molar, placed a file just into the distal. Now this wasn't bleeding, so it confirmed my diagnosis of necrotic but I saw the the white pulpal tissue. Uh, So as soon as I put my um, uh, K-file into the distal, 
he, he pretty much jumped out of the chair. So I gave the intrapopal and that, yeah. that just settled him. So it kind of leads, yeah. culminates. And like you said, I had to be cruel to be kind for that patient. Now, what yeah. could I have done had I known? I didn't know he was coming in, but what kind of uh, anesthetic uh, supplement or advice could I have given on, on the phone, as you alluded to, to help yeah. achieve better success rate of anesthesia? Yeah, um, it, it's about reducing the, the inflammatory stasis that pulp is, as best you can. And systemically, I mean, um, there's plenty of evidence to say that loathing them up with anti-inflammatories, non-steroidal, so four to 600 ibuprofen with or without uh, paracetamol. If they can't tolerate anti-inflammatories, asthma or stomach issues, tramadol, something like that, a codeine, paracetamol, not as good as an anti-inflammatory, but it's better than nothing. That will just physiologically reduce the inflammatory stages. It doesn't guarantee that that tiny bit of the pulp that's inflamed will completely anesthetize, but it will definitely, there's plenty of evidence saying it will help the anesthetic process. In terms of the actual local anesthesia, for the lower teeth, always are notoriously the worst teeth, molar teeth, first, second molars. Those teeth are really difficult to numb. And it's because they've got accessory nerve supply as well often. And and for me, the the, the baseline technique is ID, uh, doing an ID block. I don't mess about with intra-PDLs and this sort of thing. And, you know, you just, you just need to knock, them, knock that nerve out not as much as you can, supplemented with uh, buccal infiltrations of an agent that's, that absorbs well. And for me, it's articane. So if my ID block, um, I, I would give lignocaine as a, as a start. This is in acute emergencies. I don't use lignocaine often, actually. Yep. I'll tend to fall back on mepivacaine. We'll talk about that later on why I use preferred mepivacaine for routine endo. But for hot teeth, you need, you need profound anesthesia. You don't need longevity, but lignocaine works pretty well as an ID. I'm not a fan of giving ID blocks with articane, but I know the evidence suggests it is very good and it's controversial about the risk of paresthesia. And it may not be anything to do with the agent. It's probably to do with the fact there's trauma from the needle. But I'd rather not. If, if there's an alternative and it which works just as well. So ID, lignocaine, wait for that to be to work completely work. So we're talking your lip is completely numb. The lingual mucosa are completely numb not even the patient can't feel a thing, then um, articane, buccal infiltrations. It tends to absorb mm -hmm. better through the buccal plate. It's pretty thick, you know, especially in the six and seven area. And then I might give PDLs as well, or lingual under pressure. I, I've got a, an intraperiodontal device called the wand. There are a few other devices and uh, now available which do the same sort of thing. They're basically under high pressure with a short needle. They can deliver the anesthetic through the PDL. And the theory behind that is a PDL is almost as good as an intraosseous. Intraosseous is the other mechanism. You can drill a hole into the bone through these self-drilling devices, which has a, a pretty good effect. I've never got used to those devices, but some people swear by them. But you need to get that profound anesthesia in there. Uh, and you just got to wait. You make sure you mm -hmm. Just make sure that the anesthetics work. Don't just dive in. And then you want to patient management. Mm -hmm. Well, with the uh, busy lives of general dental practitioners, uh, juggling at getting these patients in, making the diagnosis can take you know, 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes you take a radiograph, then yes. give them the block, let's say, articate infiltration, get them sit outside while you see a few more patients. I'll see you in my lunch breaks, Mrs. Smith, or whatever. Then yeah. the lunch break comes, your nurse is rolling her eyes, they swap nurses. And so it's all, it's all happening in, in, in yeah. busy practice. Now, yeah. let's say we made our diagnosis of papitis and we know we need to extirpate. We yeah. have given sufficient anesthesia and the patient loaded up with ibuprofen and all the stars aligned. When we're dealing with such teeth, they usually have large MOD amalgams or something like that, right? Yeah. So my yeah. first question in terms of making it very tangible for, for, for general busy dent, general dentists is, in an ideal world, we'd love to remove the entire restoration, remove yeah. any caries, access yeah. for cracks, but... Yeah, yeah. 
in our 20 minutes, we need to get in, go for the kill. Yeah. Is that okay? Can you forgive us? Yeah, no, it is. At the end of the day, this is about patient. This is about getting the patient out of pain. Okay. And you just need to get in there. I used to call it ninja endo. Get in there, get the job done, get out before without a patient realizing it. That's my principle in endo, whether it's emergency or, or endo. You want to be stealthy. Stealth. Stealth. Okay. <laughs> and it, it, the first priority is get, get into the pulp. You're releasing the by going into the pulp, you automatically release pressure. There's pressure buildup. That's the number one property of inflammation, isn't it? Then you need to sit, basically you're applying a sedative material to relieve the inflammation. Most common uh, and popular products are steroid-based. Now, before we talk about uh, medicaments and stuff, yeah, before we talk about the medicaments, I, I just love to ask some real-world questions. Like, let's say you go in, you open up the pulp chamber. Do you think is desirable for the practitioner who's going to refer to you in the future? Should we be also removing the roof of the pulp chamber as much as possible? So let's say that lower molar I saw the, the other day had four canals, mesiobuccal, mesilingual, two distals. So four canals. And I did. I opened it all up as much as I could to, to, to visualize those four canals. And it was mostly restorative material I was removing at this point. Now, is it okay in that short appointment to just literally go in, see the pulp chamber and then proceed to medicaments? Or would you recommend to open it or does it depend on any factors? Okay, in short, forget about the root canals. Job is to get in there, relieve the pressure, open the pulp space up and apply the dressing. That's simple. Like that's all you have to do on a Friday afternoon. So even a, even like three or four millimeters in the, in no, the middle, that's sufficient. Tissue, because what then tends to happen is, so the inflamed part is the, the coronal pulp, or in fact just the top bit of the pulp horn. You'll find once you've in those cases you've got to give intrapulpal and an intrapulpal going back to that. Essentially, all you're doing is crushing the nerves. It doesn't matter what agent you could use sterile water, but the pressure crushes the nerve in that inflamed part. And you'll often find the rest of the pulp. Okay, it might be hyperemic, it might be bleeding a lot, but they won't feel that. Remove the coronal pulp if you can, if you know if it's not painful, and then just dress it. Don't worry about the root canals at this stage. That's not the priority. In fact, if you then start fishing around the root canals, you're going to start shredding pulp tissue. And unless you get the rest of the whole pulp out, that pulp tissue you leave behind in the apical or mid-third, it's going to be inflamed. And then the patient just, you get, you cause other problems. Mm -hmm. So the pain's coming from the coronal pulp. Deal with that. Dress it. In, and going back to the restoration, unless there's a gaping hole underneath the, 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 the MOD amalgam, or it's clearly this care, you know, it's just the saliva coming in. Don't worry about it at this stage. You can temporarily seal all that off with cavit or calzenol or whatever you're going to use. Just close the tooth, sedate it, close it, and then get them back in for a, to then strip the tooth apart if you have to. It'll be easy to numb up. You can then do restorability assessment. If it's not, if it's too knackered from the outset, then you just refer for an extraction or, or book in for an extraction. But if, you, if you're not sure, then don't worry about that. You can assess the restorability and then treatment plan for endo uh, once the patient's out of pain and they're easy to anesthetize. So don't miss about the pulp root canals at this stage. This is about dressing and getting them out of pain. Don't fish around the root mm -hmm. canals. We'll end up this is going to be enlightening, Sanj. This is going to be absolutely enlightening because I know plenty of colleagues who have advised me in the past and they swear by this, Sanj. They said, you won't get the patient out of pain until you file all the way to the apex. Now, is that a myth? Largely, yes, it's a myth because- you, Have you heard this? The vital, so the pain is coming from that top bit. It's not the rest of the pulp. In fact, we'll come on to this. If we get time, we're t things are slightly changing now, the way we treat vital pulps. Okay, this is an interesting conversation where we are now, I think it's too early to bring this in, we're in the realms of what's called vital pulp therapy, where maybe we don't need to extirpate pulps at all or the root canal we can do the coronal pulpotomy as we used to do for kids in immature teeth remember the schreck pulpotomy back in the day that concept is now coming mm -hmm. in, in in adult teeth 
not just immature adult teeth, molars, for example, even in mature teeth. And this comes, this is the, the kind of crossover between cariology, the caries management, and restorative dentists coming in. And they've been doing this kind of stepwise technique and all that. But I think endodontists, we've always been aware, not been happy with that because it's been unpredictable, materials haven't been appropriate. And the risk is the patient could come back in acute pain, They'll come back with advanced disease, endo disease, which then therefore the prognosis lowers. Um, all the pulps completely obliterate. And then when you have to do the endo, it's a nightmare. Things are changing a little bit with the new materials. But but at this stage, in terms of emergency management, it's enough just to deal with the, the coronal part of the pulp. The rest of the pulp often will stay vital. Whether you then take the do the full root this canal. This is music or not, to everyone's ears, Sanj. This is music. So, so whether you then go and do root canal or yeah. So yeah, whether you go and do the full endo or you don't, and you, you you apply these new vital pulp therapies, that's the that's the next interesting question, because endodontics is changing now. We're doing preventodontics, if you like it. Very good, very good. I think I think that'll be a whole new episode. But just to, to continue on the reign of uh, emergency management, I think what you said is going to be music to the ears of all the GDPs listening who perhaps had this thought that and they're going to spend this extra time and extra risk in opening up all the individual uh, canals, filing all the way to the apex. So really what I'm hearing is to get sufficient anesthesia, get in there, open up the pulp chamber, uh, just enough to get your sedative in, and we'll talk about sedative in a moment. Now, my, uh, and don't go sticking your K-file. So in fact, your nurse now knows not even to give you a K-file for this emergency extirpation, which, which is brilliant. Would you recommend using hypochlorite? Now, before we can get to that, let's take one step back. I personally, I, I would always use rubber dam. You know, with your influence on, on the BES, I can't go to a BES conference and then not use rubber dam for anything like this. So I always use rubber dam, but I've got some colleagues, a little more experienced, and they say, Jazz, it's okay, because we're killing the nerve anyway. Way. The endodontic endobods will sort the bugs out afterwards. So just get go in, put some sedative in, and come out. We don't need to irrigate, and we don't need rubber dam. What do you think on that? What is best practice? What do you want from your referring practitioners? Okay, but I mean, best practice is you've got to isolate the tooth properly, both from a safety point of view and also from a microbiological point of view. Now, okay, okay may, that person dentist may not be doing the endo, and it's not their problem. It'll go to the endodontist. The problem is if bugs get in there, saliva gets in there. It'll kill the rest of the pulp. Okay, fine. The plan is to do endo. But the problem is if an irreversible pulpitis actually is, a, apart from that inflamed bit, it's actually a sterile situation, which is where vital pulp therapy comes in. So you don't want to introduce bugs there because you don't know when that patient's going to get to the endodontist or when they're going to have the endo. It might be weeks. It might be months. And if they get an infection and it gets into the apical, then you're into a different ball game in terms of prognosis and treatment. So isolation still is important. Now, whether you rubber dam or you compromise, depending on the clinic and if you're working in an emergency department, I know there are other factors. It's, 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 it's easy for me to say in my every tower of dental school or, or endo practice, you have rubber dam there and then. But get good isolation. Your nurse is there, good aspiration, open the pulp up, give it an irrigation. Remember, it's only the coronal part. You're not messing about the root canals. So you don't. You just need to bathe the area. Hypochlorite or, or corsidil or whatever. What do, you, what do you recommend? Hypochlorite. Now, what do you think about people who, because maybe they're not using rubber dam, they're then using um, chlorhexidine 2% maybe or, or, or weaker? It's better than nothing. They won't be using 2%. They'll be using mouthwash, which is useless. To be honest, it's the surface. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it won't be two percent for sure because that's quite expensive, and most people don't. Even endodontists don't use that. Well, not many do. Even if it's as simple as opening the pulp chamber, you've got isolation suction to stop saliva getting in there. Dipping a cotton wool pledge in hypochlorite and squashing it in there, so at least it's it's bathed. Then dress and close. That's fine. Just be quick. If everything's efficient, you know what you're doing. Hence, keep it simple. 
you don't need endo files. The, the aim is all you need is your high speed, yeah. ideally rubber dam, but all good isolation. Um, you need your, your an irrigant even to dip into whether you inject into tooth is another issue. You will send us the material and close. But, but, but are you happy for us to use a hypochlorite and, and use a, maybe a whole syringe of hypochlorite uh, to irrigate the superficial uh, pulp? It's a, yeah, it's not a problem. Whether you're going to do vital pulp theory or do endo, it doesn't matter. For the few, for a minute or two, thirty seconds, mm -hmm. you're going to do it. It doesn't make a difference. It's not going to do anything, any damage. Mm -hmm. But um, again, do, we don't need to go into the canal. It's just staying very superficially yeah. in the in the in the pulp chamber, right? Yeah, that's all you're trying to do. Get some hemostasis if you can. If you can't get hemostasis, the agent you're going to use will hopefully it'll kill the pulp off. So when you go back in, it'll be less messy next mm -hmm. time. But it's good to have some disinfectant within there. Remember, the dressing material will probably also have a disinfectant mm -hmm. effect, so that's fine. But ideally, yes, get good isolation as best you can. And for the sake of a 30 seconds or a minute, it's not the end of the world. You know, you can, you can be careful enough. I think you can be careful enough to use hypocrite. You don't need much. You don't need a syringe. That's for endo. Yeah. Uh, just in a cotton pellet, as you said, is, is a real gem right there, actually. Yeah. yeah. Just soak it and then close. I, I, I really respect you, Sanjan. I'm not saying I really respect you because what you've given is you really respected the, the plight of the GDP there uh, and you haven't been dogmatic. And I really repeat, it's so easy for you as an endon to say, you know, you absolutely must. You're committing a cardinal sin, which we know we are if we don't. But sometimes you only got five minutes and you're already 45 minutes into it, whatever, right? So therefore, I really respect that you've given us guidelines in terms of best practice, but you've said that, okay, if we have to compromise, let's do it in this fashion, which is going to help us either way. So really good suction, dip your cotton pellet in hypochlorite and those guidelines you so I really respect you for considering our position sometimes. So thank you for that. Now, the last question in this segment for emergency uh, acute situations before we talk about post-op pain uh, is which is your sedative of choice and which is your temporary restoration of choice? Sedative of choice, very popular one. And I still like it if you can get hold of it is Lenamix. This is purely for a coronal pulpotomy. It's not for sticking down root canals. Okay. It's got a steroid in it. So naturally it's an anti-inflammatory. The antibiotic component, it's broad spectrum. That's neither here nor there, to be honest, but it might have some effect. But it's just the fact it's sedative. You just want to get the patient out of pain. But you need to go back in. You can't leave Ledimix for long because it, 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 it does its thing and it, it doesn't do much after that. And the, if there's any pulp beyond that, it'll start getting inflamed. The pulp will become inflamed deeper down. So if you're using Ledimix, it'll keep it quiet for two to four weeks, maybe. But you need to go back in there and do the full extirpation, do the full endo quickly. The alternative, and it's still the gold standard, mm -hmm. is calcium hydroxide non-setting. Um, it hasn't got any direct anti-inflammatory properties, but it's a necrotizing agent. It's antibacterial. So kind of indirectly, it'll disinfect the environment. It'll necrotize the pulp because it's pretty caustic. Calcium hydroxide is pretty caustic stuff. It'll fry the pulp it comes in contact with. Very alkaline. And it'll do the job. So when you go back in... You've then got the choice whether you do end it or go down and keep preserve the rest of the pulp. But calcium hydroxide is fine, non-setting calcium hydroxide if you can't get the whole of lead mm -hmm. mix. Because I know lead how, how much do we need here? Because you know sometimes nurses, depending on which dentist they work with, they've got previous biases. So sometimes they give you a huge splodge of it and they give you a file because they expect you to take it all the way to the apex because that's what they used to with the dentist they work with. Uh, or sometimes they give you like the tiniest bit and a, and a cotton pellet. Now personally, me Sanj, I, I like to use PTFE instead of cotton nowadays. We can hear your thoughts about that. But then yes. how do you best apply that and then how much do you put and how do you seal over that? 
Okay, so what I do is once you've got hemostasis or relative hemostasis, if, you if you've got hemostasis, I literally inject the cream, it's cream, it's like cream, I've got a calcium hydroxide cream into, say, the, 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 over the pulp chamber floor, a third of the pulp chamber floor, very gently. I You can use PTFE. The only problem with PTFE, and I know a lot of endodontists and everyone goes on about PTFE, the problem is if you put that into place, you roll it into a ball, you're meant to roll it into a ball and you squash it in, it displaces the calcium hydroxide. It just squirts back out, so you haven't mm -hmm. got the volume. So a better material, and you're right, cotton wool. There's plenty of evidence saying you shouldn't use cotton wool because um, you can't. You often can't see the fibres, and they sometimes protrude through. And you're going to get an effect. It'll just penetrate through the temporary material on the top. A better alternative I use is sponge pellets. These are the sponge pellets, the um, either yep. endoflus pellets or um, voco pellets. They're better because they're compressible. They're porous, so they'll hold the calcium hydroxide or whatever agent you're in, and it just it holds a bit bigger volume of dressing material. Unlike well, the problem with PTFE is you push it in, you're meant to displace it, and it's good because it's antibacterial. And when I say antibacterial, it, because it's PTFE, nothing bugs don't stick to the material, which is great as an inter appointment between root canal treatments. It's great for that, or post-operatively, uh, before you send back. But uh, for the dressing, you just end up displacing it out, and you want the dressing material to soothe the tooth. So, mm -hmm. um, so sponge okay, fair point. In terms of material on top, it, it, again, it depends on how when the patient's going to come back in. The options are um, calcinol, traditional reinforcing calcite, or calcinol. If you think the patient's not going to go see a dentist for a long time, either GI or IRM. IRM is my favorite because it's super reinforced calcinol. It's rock hard. And in fact, it was designed... Do you know the history of IRM, where it came from? Uh, no, I don't. I no, don't. It was developed... This I'm not sure this is quite, quite accurate, but it was developed by the... I think it was the US Navy. So they used to... During the Vietnam War. So what they used to do is they used to, they found a material where they do address... Again, emergency dressings. Get the, the soldiers out of pain. And they knew they wouldn't come back for months on end. And that's where IRM was developed. It, they used it there so it's a long term it's really it's quite mm -hmm. hard it's not as hard as amalgam or composite but it's pretty wear resistant the other property it's got that eugenol component so it's slightly antibacterial which is why a lot of endodontists love it um, it's got that long-term antibacterial and it, mm -hmm. it, it, it sort of deflects biofilm and, and bacteria so iron's great but otherwise gi capsulated bog standard gi is hard enough it's resistant okay. enough and it's easy easily accessible for the, the final endo they're the choice cabot quite quite soft is that okay for for a short term Short term is fine. It depends on the cavity. If it's an enclosed cavity, you'd literally an occlusal access cavity. You need depth and bulk of cavity. It is not very. It's quite. It's poor wear resistance, but it's okay for no more than two to three weeks. And it depends on the patient's occlusion as well. So mm -hmm. it's okay. It's okay. Sure. Okay. But we do favor calcium on even more IRM and then use a GIC if, if, if appropriate as well. So that, that's yes. good. If I was just summarize, because the reason I've done a whistle stop straw of this, because I also want to talk about post-op pain, perhaps after doing RST. And while I've got this precious time, for those who don't know, we've been months in the waiting to, to sync our diaries. So I've got this very <laughs> valuable, special, precious time to extract everything out of, yeah. of your brain uh, and distribute it to producerati. So just to summarize so far, guys, we need to uh, get profound anesthesia. We don't don't need to explore in that emergency appointment to get to every single canal. We certainly don't need to file into every single canal. If you open up the pulp chamber, place a sedative like Letamix or a non-setting calcium hydroxide, a foam on top, put some calcinol or GIC for good measure, IRM maybe if you want something longer lasting, and, and that should work. Do we have any data on how, because sometimes I've done it maybe some years ago and it just patients call, calls up the next day and say, I'm still in pain. But, but most of the time, I'd say 95% plus patients are out of pain the next day because I, I, I did for, for a while do an audit 
the day after, especially when I worked at Guy's in the emergency department. Uh, do we know how successful it is or has that not been studied? The, you mean the emergency dressing protocol? Yes, the emergency dressing protocol. Yeah, yeah, I'm not aware of any specific studies on that, but it, anecdotally from mm. when patients had the dressings done, it, it seems to, within a couple of days, most patients are out of pain once the dentist has been in there. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to your patient in terms of, you know, give it a couple of days and analgesics? Let's just finish off with what advice you'd give before we talk about post-op pain. Yeah, I'd warn them it's not going to suddenly get, get better. So give it a couple of days. I'd ask them to continue the ibuprofen if they can take ibuprofen or paracetamol. If it's acute pain, then tramadol or something like that. And I one thing I also do is just to, in terms of just symptomatic relief i just i'll flatten the occlusion get all the deflected contacts out just so there's no most of the pain is often on lateral percussion uh so just just flatten the tooth the tooth is probably going to be indirectly restored probably anyway so just just relieve any uh the tooth will be high hyper occlusion anyway if there's any apical involvement as well you never in multiple teeth in multiple teeth one pulp could be vital inflamed the other part could be dead so you might have also have a combination of apical inflammation you don't really know that immediately so just relieve the tooth out of occlusion all nice occlusion and, and then yeah post-operative anti-inflammatories it should settle within a couple of days should do and tell them to go to the dentist Amazing. if they're not your patient you must they must follow this up and warn them what could happen because if they again medical legal hat on if you haven't warned them this it kicks off they'll see you didn't warn them and you know just to prevent a complaint you need to warn them put in the notes this is the advice given if you're not going to come back to your clinic uh, this needs to be done so you just protect yourself for the future yeah uh, warn them and also make an uh, entry into the notes that patient warned that needs to this is not the final treatment you know some people just assume that oh I've done my root canal and I take a radiograph there's no root filling material you've seen obviously it's been dressed at some point probably five years ago or whatever so yeah good point well made so Sanj let's, let's switch gears a little bit I recently treated a, a gentleman well there we have it guys you don't need to find and open up every single canal just get in there relieve the pressure place your medicament and we also talked about what kind of materials we can use afterwards. So I feel like we covered a fair amount in this group function. Listen, if you are listening on the app, you're listening or watching on the premium version of the app, just scroll down now and then you'll see a form, fill in a few details and answer a few questions and you'll get your half an hour's worth of CPD certificate with all the aims objectives and the reflective log so it's like legit and future-proof. And if you're not already on the app, look, you can download it for free. It's on iOS and Android and the benefit is you can download these episodes, videos and audios and any PDFs and save it to your device if you, in case you have choppy connection and it's one of those membership programs that actually let you download all the stuff like if you're on a membership website for dentistry then it's very unlikely they'll let you download the videos on your hard drive or on your phone or your tablet you actually download the video and audio to your device to listen in the future and if you want CPD and exclusive premium content that I'm making all the time then I'd really appreciate your support if you support the team Protrusive and joined the premium package on a monthly subscription and I'll promise you I'll make it worth your while anyway Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. You're a true Petrus Rati. I'll catch you same time, same place on the next episode.